0: During our recent mission to the Von Doom space station, we were exposed to as yet unidentified radioactive energy. We do not know much more than you do at this point. A new day is done. The day of the Fantastic Four. It's movie review in time. With Now Playing's Fantastic Four Retrospective Series. There'll be an explanation for this. There's always a scientific explanation for everything. Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. This is going to be fun. Hosted by our fantastic movie reviewers, Stuart. When have I ever asked you to do something you absolutely said you could not do? Five times. I had it at four. Well, this makes five. Jacob. We're either all in this together or we don't move. And Arnie. Now we're more like the Terrific Three. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as they review each Fantastic Four film, from the unreleased Roger Corman original to The Rise of the Silver Surfer.
1: Now picture that,
0: but every But be warned, these podcasts contain spoilers, mild language, and cosmic rays that may mutate your DNA. Listener discretion is advised. Susan? Let's not fight. No, let's.
2: Today we're discussing Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, starring Yohan Griffith, Jessica Alba, Michael Chiklis, Chris Evans, Doug Jones, and Lawrence Fishburne, directed by Tim Story. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, here to see if your iPod is edible. (laughs) <laughs> Will you eat it what? if it is? That's what. You, that's... No, I'm just scouting it out for Galactus to then eat.
1: Oh, okay, because I'm not going to eat it. I'm Stuart in L.A. And this is Jacob, brought to you by Dodge, Keebler, Pens Boyle, and many other major corporations.
2: And we're back talking about the 2007 follow-up to Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, and for the astute long-time now-playing fan, yes, I did review this the weekend it came out. This is me revisiting the film with an older, wiser, more learned perspective. Will I agree with what I said then? Listen and find out.
1: I gotta say... You know, I didn't see the first Fantastic Four film when it came out, but the marketing for this film got me excited. They were really going for something epic when they were showing all these scenes of the silver surfer, very ominous, and and these devastating things going around the world in the trailers. Like, I was actually kind of excited to see this film, even though I, I knew the first one didn't get the best reviews.
2: Here's the thing that I find funny. As I said in our last podcast, I was surprised they made another But really, the marketing that you talk about really was telling me, hey, you know that Fantastic Four movie that wasn't so good a couple years ago? Well, we're already starting the spinoff. It's the Silver Surfer movie, and the characters from that last movie have some cameos in it. That's what the marketing said to me. I mean, in, in the poster, the Silver Surfer looms large over the four. And I think that was what they want to use as the hook to draw people back because I'm not sure people were clamoring for a follow-up to the 2005 original
3: I totally agree with you guys I feel like Fantastic Four did okay but it kind of like Godzilla in 98 just because you made money didn't mean that you built a franchise I don't know that they would get the same numbers if they gave us the exact same variable so they brought everyone back But they had an ace up their sleeve, and that's this character that even I know, but I've never read,
2: and it's Silver Surfer. I mean, he's a big deal, right? This is a big, big character for Marvel. Is he? I mean, I know that when I was growing up in high school, there were a whole bunch of kids who like totally jazzed about Silver Surfer. I knew nothing about him except he was on the cover of a Joe Satriani album I had in college. But is he a big deal? I've read a couple comics with him. I was unimpressed. He is one of those cornerstone
1: characters in the Marvel Universe. If you're even kind of into Marvel stuff, you know who the Silver Surfer is. I think what the bigger deal was the storyline they were going with in this film where the Silver Surfer was introduced. The Galactus Trilogy, as it's called in the comic books, this was a huge, groundbreaking story for the Fantastic Four and for the Marvel Universe when it came out. Huh.
3: Arnie, fill me in on how fantastic this amazing trilogy storyline was. Please, hit me up with a plot summary.
2: When last we left our heroes, they had become superheroes beloved by the world. In the time since, they've become super celebrities. Angelina Jolie, Lindsay Lohan, and Princess Diana all rolled into one. Johnny's marketing deals have made them rich, and Reed and Sue have planned their wedding, but their superhero lives have caused the wedding to be postponed repeatedly, and Sue begins to have doubts if this life is right for her to settle down. But unbeknownst to them, Galactus... As much a force of nature as a person, this space cloud requires massive amounts of energy, both organic and otherwise, to live. And as such, he feeds on living planets, turning them into dead husks in a matter of minutes. To find suitable planets to eat, Galactus has his herald, the Silver Surfer, who flies to planets, and when a suitably alive planet is found, he digs giant craters, which look like bowling ball holes, to enable Galactus to eat a planet better. Kind of like the mama bird pre chewing food for the babies, I think. Before it vomits it in its mouth? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just like that. Keep going. When our movie starts, the Silver Surfer has come to Earth to prepare for Galactus' consumption, causing snow in Egypt and power disruption wherever he flies. And he ends up interrupting Sue and Reed's wedding plans. Johnny, the Human Torch, tries to stop the Surfer, and their encounter disrupts Johnny's powers. So now, whenever he touches another member of the Fantastic Four, they kind of switcheroo their powers, like vice versa, only with flame on. So he touches Sue, and now Johnny's invisible, and Sue's catching fire and taking flight. this goes on repeatedly for both comedic and active intent the military enlists reed to track and capture the surfer but an accidental touch from johnny causes reed to fail spectacularly putting the lives of several londoners in danger but also seeking the surfer is victor von doom the electrical disruptions caused by the surfer's flight awoke victor from his frozen state and doom tracks the surfer down and tries to confront him a blast from the surfer also restores victor's human skin and appearance the videotape of this confrontation gets Victor pulled in on the government's project to capture the Surfer, and together, Doom and Reed succeed in separating the Surfer from the board, which they determine to be the source of his power. And the Surfer spills his guts. His real name is Norin Rad, and he's forced to be Galactus's maitre d' in order to save his own people. But the Surfer is attracted to Jessica Alba. I mean... Sue, as she reminds him of his old girlfriend back on home Silver Surfer World, and so he agrees to try to stop Galactus from eating Earth, but to do so, he needs his board. But Doom's motives, of course, were evil and selfish, as he steals the Silver Surfer's board and has the ultimate cosmic power. In Reed's flying Fantasticar, they track down Doom, but he's too powerful for them to stop, and he mortally wounds and kills Sue. The four transfer all their power into Johnny, using that switcheroo thing, and Super Johnny defeats Doom, returning the board to the Surfer. Noran then uses his power to resurrect Sue, then flies into space where Galactus is preparing to eat Earth. The Surfer unleashes all of his power, seemingly killing himself and repelling or killing Galactus or something. He makes Galactus go away. And Johnny, having tried to follow Nora in space, touches the surfboard and loses his switcheroo power. Sue and Reed get married in a small private Tokyo ceremony with Sue coming to fully accept their role as superheroes and that their life may need to take a back seat sometimes to save the Earth. And above in space, we see the surfer open his eyes, perhaps not as dead as we thought, as credits roll.
1: Now, you guys talked about how the first film took a lot of things from the original Corman film, uh, repeated a lot of the same story points. I thought this kicked off right away with an homage to the Corman one with the space opening. We, We talked about those space credits, the opening scenes in the Corman Fantastic Four. Now we get the upgraded version of the outer space opening here.
3: The opening's good. And the opening gave me hope that this was going to be a much bigger, more exciting, more dramatic tension. That's what I was looking for the last time. Something to fight. Well, there's no doubt when you see a whole world that at first I thought was Earth totally collapsed in on itself and the surfer appears to be responsible. I didn't know what Galactus was at this point. I figured, wow. We're finally going to have world-destroying stakes. This is the fate of the world. Maybe they can fix this. That was my first thought watching this opening.
2: I have fortunately pushed Corman so far from my mind at this point. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't think about Corman at all. I did think about Star Trek. (laughs) But, yes, I also was happy. I did go into this knowing what Galactus was. A giant 50-foot-tall dude with a purple hat. I've read the Secret Wars comics, Galactus is in there, that's my exposure to Galactus. I also knew he wasn't going to wear his purple hat in this movie, so I knew more what was going on, I knew what the surfer was going to be, but yeah, I also had hope immediately that... This could be a better film because, yes, I said last time the heroes are only as good as their villains and this appeared to be a great villain. And I know even though I've never read it, I know this is one of the classic Fantastic Four stories.
1: You know, Artie, this story was a big deal. And here's the reason, you know, traditionally in comic books, the villains up to this point, they were megalomaniacs. They wanted to take over the world. They wanted power. With Galactus, he is this godlike creature who's beyond good and evil. He doesn't want to take over the world. He just wants to destroy it, but it's not like he's being mean to these humans. They're just insignificant. They're food for him. And so that was a really crazy concept to have a villain that, one, could endanger the entire world and wasn't taking it over for power. He just wanted to destroy it because that's how he lived. And two, is very subversive to create this godlike character in the 60s, but he's actually the villain. So I had a lot of hope going in here. I knew I wasn't going to get the big, weird purple hat version. I, well, I would have been surprised if I did. I'll put it that way. But yeah. Did you want
3: something to wear a purple hat?
1: <laughs> Look, I'm I'm a huge fan of Jack Kirby and his designs and his designs are crazy. You know, you talked with the last Fantastic Four, Stewart, how, you know, very much a comic book movie. I thought Tim's story, he was telling the kind of story where you could have the purple hat Galactus.
2: <laughs> that is true. Given the way the last film went, would a 100 foot tall dude in a purple hat have been so unreasonable? No, not if it was Cedric the Entertainer. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I thought the opening was good. I liked the Silver Surfer coming to Earth and doing all these weird things and teased you correctly about the surfer. I mean, yes, he was also in all the marketing, like I said about Thing last time, but here you're getting to see him move and do all these cool things, and so it's teasing you with what his powers are. And I really had hope for five minutes, and then the next 30 really disappointed
1: me. Yes, five minutes in, and then we go back to comedy mode with, we're at an airport. You know, this film, we talked about the last one being a comedy. Right away, we start off with Sue and Reed's wedding plans, and I'm like, okay, this is a romantic comedy with superheroes, which might work. I never saw my super ex-girlfriend. Maybe it's a good film.
2: I did. It was terrible. Okay.
1: In theory, you could have a good superhero romantic comedy. But this was not working for me, and this is not the film I want with Galactus and the Silver Surfer.
3: Actually, Don Payne, the other credited screenwriter, Mark Frost, came back. He did write Super Ex Girlfriend. So there's a reason why you feel that
2: way. I will say this, though. I think it's Don Payne on the commentary. I've never heard a writer on a commentary before going, I hate this scene. Why is this scene here? And that's Don Payne talking about that airplane scene.
1: It doesn't make, again, Reed Richards, smartest guy in the world. They've flown to space. Later on, we see that he has a flying machine. He could have made that 10 minutes earlier. Like, why are they flying, Coach, except for stupid comedic reasons?
3: You've just answered your own question. Yeah. Isn't it funny to see Thing overreaching this space and uh, upsetting the woman with the window
2: seat? I'm sorry. If Kevin Smith needs two seats, Thing needs two seats.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And again, maybe if this was the first film, I would be buying it at this time. But because they had such this epic opening, it just seems totally out of place and sticks out like a sore thumb.
3: I disagree, guys. I actually feel like we were going to inevitably get back to this. I knew it was coming. I actually (laughs) thought some of this banter was funnier than a lot of the stuff in the last movie. When they're flying and Johnny's mocking thing in his cramped quarters flying outside and
2: he shuts the blind and says, I hope it rains. I laughed. I thought it was funny. All right. I'm going to agree with Stuart on this. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I hate this. This isn't that bad. I'm kind of enjoying it. Yeah, it's a romantic comedy with superheroes, but it is a hell of a lot better than my super ex-girlfriend, really. I laughed at I Hope It Rains, and I laughed at some of the stuff we're going to talk about coming up with The Bachelor Party. I also like what they did with Thing's makeup this time. Really, Michael Chiklis, I can't believe how expressive he is under the makeup, but it's so much more this time. You really get kind of sheepish Embarrassment when he's walking up and has to squeeze into that middle seat.
1: Maybe he was more expressive, but you know what was more excessive in this film was Jessica Alba's blonde hair. They're
3: trying to make her look like a brat's doll. I mean, she <laughs> is gussied up. She's way more glammy. I think they got the note that last time when trying to make her a scientist, she wasn't hot enough. So now she's wearing, you know, coochie cutters and what have you, but it's horrible. Like, she still looks
1: bad with that hairdo.
2: No, it, it's terrible. I don't know if it was a wig or if they just dyed it too light. But, oh, my God.
1: Maybe they borrowed it from Storm. I mean, they have Storm, Sue Storm. Maybe they share wigs.
2: <laughs> Seriously, it is that same type of fright wake. It really is. And I said in the last movie, I like Jessica Alba as a magazine cover, but not an actress. Here, I don't like her as either.
3: I agree. They have not served her best assets here. I don't think. Her natural beauty comes through. Well, they
1: put her in plenty of clothing and unclothing to try to bring that natural beauty out in this. I mean, I noticed so much cleavage this time around. They really try to sex her up for this film. Like you said, Stuart, they try to make her into a brat stall.
2: But yet they took away the nude scenes now. She can make her clothes invisible this time. So there goes that fun little striptease.
1: Yes, but she burns them off eventually, and you get naked, fiery Jessica Alba, and then she loses the firepower. She's naked again. I mean, oh, that's true, true. They still fit the nudity in for her.
3: No, they definitely do. And it should be said, they're an equal opportunity flasher, that Johnny's whole power about burning away clothes, they get him naked again, too. It's what these younger characters are meant to do. They're meant to titillate the audience that doesn't really care about Reed and Victor, which is everyone, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I care about a naked Jessica Alba a lot more than I care about Reed and Victor. That's not saying much, though. And what about Reed? He is now an engaged man and... Going out on the town, I felt like the whole bachelor party scene was not very true to his character. He didn't seem like the kind to do Mambo number five with two random hotties.
1: This is the moment that this film lost me the dance scene. Him dancing with his stretchy powers, he's getting loose, and so his arms are flapping all over the place. Like, this is just embarrassing. <laughs> Yes, in the romantic comedy, you're going to have the goofy dancing. Even when the thing's doing his little do the shuffle moves by the bar, it's embarrassing. It's the whole thing. This has now gone too far for me. You know, the first I was on the line, this movie has now in the first, you know, 10 minutes has pushed it way too far. With just the goofiness,
3: huh? I didn't have this problem actually. I, like I said, I knew it was coming, and I thought that they were okay. I thought these scenes were adequate.
1: You, you liked him twisting and his arms flat. I mean, you you enjoyed that,
3: Stewart? Did I say like or enjoy? I said they were acceptable. They were what I expected to be. I don't think they're any less sophisticated than the last movie. And it's, oh, come on,
1: we disagree then. <laughs>
2: I'll say this, I liked the dance scene. Oh, Arnie. I didn't think it was true to his character but I thought it was fun. I liked that use of the stretchy power. I was still going with this film at that point. I'm like, alright, yeah, it's kind of cute.
3: And he's still trying to explain the origins of the universe to Candy. I mean, they are playing him still as a brainiac. He's still typing away on his Blackberry. I mean, they haven't totally gotten rid of his quote-unquote smarts. Problem is, the character never registered as this brainiac that I was supposed to understand him in the first place. I, I don't really like Mr. Fantastic. What do you want me to say? He's dull. I did notice he's shaving his Gray temples, though.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I noticed the gray hair was gone. I was wondering what was up with that. That's like a defining feature of Reed Richards is the gray temples, and they're gone here.
3: It probably made him look too old. (laughs) I was about to say, it must not have tested well with the audience they were going after.
2: We don't like gray hairs. But once again... Sue's kind of portrayed as the bitch, right? You can't do your work. You must focus on our wedding. It, it's again, she's very henpicked. The only time she comes off of it is when she catches him dancing and she looks again like I'm mad again. But then at the end, she's like, oh, it's nothing compared to what I did on my bachelorette party. <laughs>
3: I agree. They don't know how to play this. They know that they want to have some bickering and bantering because that's what story does. But they know that if they play her too much as the, oh, my God, you had a bachelor party, that they'll lose the audience. They just won't accept her. They'll, yeah, they'll call her a bitch. So it ends up being really passive aggressive. I don't really know what her hang up is. She wants him to work on the censor and track Silver Surfer. At the same time, she doesn't. It's really wishy-washy. And it's an, a, yet again, another unsatisfying relationship relationship between Reed and Sue. I don't feel like these characters have progressed at all, whereas Ben and Alicia, I still kind of enjoy watching them. I'm still happy to see them.
2: Alicia was in this film? (laughs) Yes. She was, you know.
1: In the last film, we got a Reed Richards dick joke. This time, we got a thing Alicia sex joke.
2: Oh, yes. The rock slide.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Again, the first film, I was going with it, and here they just start pushing it. Too far, like okay, he could expand anything. I am expecting that joke. I don't need to get into the thing's pants,
2: <laughs> nobody does except Alicia. <laughs> yes. That said, this movie is PG, the last one was PG 13, so you think it put they pushed it further. The censors thought that they didn't go as far, huh.
1: taste had really slid between 2005 and 2007. I guess,
2: is it PG? Are you sure about that? It is. According to IMDb Trivia, it's the first PG superhero film since Howard the Duck. Oh, (laughs) and that should have been R.
3: This feels very chaste to me. I can believe that this is PG, but, you know, the wedding is what it is. I don't like these scenes, but I feel like you have to have this to interplay with the surfer and the ominous stuff that we're going to build towards the meeting, and it's going to get important. It's just what they've been doing in all of this time, right?
2: Yeah, it just seemed like after the surfer arrived, we went through almost a half an hour with no action building up to the wedding. And I guess, you know, they figured that people who went to the last one wants this and they have to get all of this kind of banter out of the way because by the time that the earth is about to be devoured, it's not a good time to tango.
1: Right. I timed this. There's 42 minutes into the film till we finally get an actual fight scene with the surfer. I mean, there's a lot of boring stuff going on in this film at the beginning.
2: Well, Jacob, you call it boring. I call it fun. But really, if you thought this was going on too long, they did not yet release an extended cut of this film. But I did watch the deleted scenes on the DVD. They had like 15 more minutes of Johnny and Ben getting ready for Reed's wedding, picking up the wedding cake, picking out the wedding ring, finding the flowers. You cannot believe uh, it until you see it. So
1: it really was a romantic comedy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, only it's Johnny and Ben that met cute. (laughs) And yeah, if they left all that in, I would agree with you, Jacob, it's been too much. But I like what they left in. I like what they did with it here. It amused me. I wanted some action, but this was amusing me. I mean, where was it that it got too much for you?
1: i mean you get to the wedding and the minister is brian possein the comedian like again this is where i start rolling my eyes and it's pushing it too far okay now they're just pandering
2: who are they pandering to The just shoot me fans (laughs) i mean really who is brian possein pandering to i don't know who brian possein is is that somebody i was supposed to know brian possein is one of like this legion of geek stand-up comics he uh Was noted mostly for being kind of the Kramer-type character, a very bit player, though, on Just Shoot Me, that David Spade show with George Seagal. And him and Hal Sparks and Patton Oswalt. But
1: he he's also done a lot of voice acting work with like adult swim cartoons. That's why I felt like that's where I know him from. I recognize his voice instantly. That's why I felt they were just pandering to a younger crowd here by having him as the funny, weird, goofy minister.
2: Well, there was this TV show that actually followed him and Patton Oswald and... Zach Galifianakis on a comedy tour, and they showed Brian Posehn, like, getting all geeked out for Wednesday being comic book release day. So, obviously, Brian wanted in this. He's a huge comic dork, but...
1: Oh, yeah, and I've seen him at Comic-Con. Yeah, he's there every year.
2: Yeah, so I don't know who he knew to actually get the gig, though. Because I don't see him as pandering. I don't see this as a cameo for anyone except Brian Pussain. What do you guys think of the Stan Lee cameo? Did you
1: feel it was too breaking the fourth wall, too self-aware by referring to himself as Stan Lee? And like, why is the creator in the universe he created?
2: It shattered my image of him because I like to imagine he's always the same guy. And in the first Fantastic Four film, he was Willie. And I figured Willie used to sell hot dogs on the beach before he became a mailman and was watering his lawn in the 70s in front of Jean Grey's house. But now he's Stan Lee. So it wrecks that whole illusion. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, I'm kidding.
1: Only Artie would be concerned about the continuity of Willow. <laughs> I agree, Yeah, yeah. I actually, and again, this is because I am the comic book geek. It wasn't uncommon to break the fourth wall, especially in Fantastic Four. You had Johnny Storm sitting around reading the Hulk going, man, this is a great comic. Ben, you should check out this Hulk comic. You know, maybe I'm giving the writers too much credit here, but I thought it was a nice homage to how, like, there was this self awareness in those original Fantastic Four comics, and even and when they eventually Sue Storm and Reed Richards get married in the comic book, Stanley and Jack Kirby, the creators of the Fantastic Four, show up in the comic at their wedding and get turned away. Whoever wrote this, someone dropped some knowledge on him. Maybe it was Brian Posehn.
2: <laughs> Possibly there. You should have Stanley playing Stanley. I'm just surprised Stan didn't try to extend his lines some more. But you notice they did have two people there to escort him away.
1: Yes, they, they were actual security guards to push him out of <laughs> screen if he kept going.
2: But then the wedding is crashed, literally, by helicopter. I like that scene. I thought it was actually exciting. It was pointless, but it was exciting. I like the helicopter coming for Alicia, and she's blind, so she can't move out of the way.
1: Yeah, she can't feel the force of this big helicopter coming at her. Duck, at least. But which way does she dive, you know? <laughs> you go down, you duck. Duck cover. If it's good enough for an atom bomb, it's good enough for a helicopter.
3: I kind of agree. And you're right. It's a a good payoff. The idea is that they're paparazzi, right? They're there to take the official wedding photos that Johnny is going to then auction off to the highest bidder. But because Surfer is coming, the power goes out whenever he comes. That's how it
1: works. Well, he has the power to change matter. So I guess this time around, instead of freezing water or causing it to snow, he decides to... I
2: just thought he made it cold.
3: Yeah. Why is he doing any of that? I didn't get that.
1: He does have the power to change matter around, like, that is from the comic. But in the comic, like, he gets to Earth. He doesn't burrow any holes into Earth, you know, To he doesn't chew up the food for Galactus. He basically gets to Earth, sees that there's life on it and that it's consumable, and he basically shoots off a cosmic flare gun to signal Galactus to come there. Like, that's the extent. Of his visit. And then he gets punched out by the thing. And he slowly turns to accept humanity from Alicia in the comics. The, the blind lady teaches the silver man to love humanity and fight back. But The
2: blind leading the bland. Yes.
3: I kind of like that they've given him more to do here. The craters is a good enough thing for me. I didn't have a problem with that. But what didn't make sense is if he's so fast and flying around the universe, why is it taking him weeks to do this work? I mean, and it's not all of it is making the craters like snowing in Egypt. And turning the water in Japan solid, I got to say, did it not instantly date this movie, too, when the news report is like, and they're trying to blame this on underwater volcanic activity. But there's no underwater volcanic activity in upper Japan. Um, Oops.
1: Yeah, that was unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah, it really was. (laughs) There there was also shots of Circuit City, because apparently that was still in business four years ago.
2: And sponsoring this movie, possibly why they're no longer around. (laughs) (laughs)
1: There was logos all over this film.
2: Hey, you got to give them props. They at least just say, we have sponsors. We're going to put them on our outfit for this scene and just get all our product placement out of the way early.
3: Yeah, they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. They're indulging in product placement at the same time that they're laughing that they're doing it. And I would also argue that it's not just promoting companies. They're trying to get an international audience now. The reason why surfers flying around and going to every continent is because they want this movie in every continent. They want it to play. And so I'm convinced that's why fights spread out, you know, through Greenland and Europe and China and all of that. They know that hey, if this movie's going to make its money back, it won't be because it made it in America. It will make it from its international box office.
1: But I don't think it was taking weeks for the surfer to get around the world because they say once he shows up eight days later, the world gets destroyed. So I, I think I think they have a bad sense of time in this film. It, it's very elastic and. Uh, you know, they space things as the story needs it, but I don't think it was weeks he was spending flying around. It felt that way to me, but like. It, it did, because it took 42 minutes to get into any action here. So it definitely did feel that way.
2: It had to be a while because, I mean, they're spending the time to investigate him. They're going from bachelor party to wedding. It was several days.
3: Reed had a week to build the sensor, the thing to track him. So it's longer than eight days.
1: No, I agree. They don't follow their rules in this story. I mean, they say eight days, but obviously it's not.
2: And what's he doing? I just thought. Wherever he went, he accidentally caused electrical disruptions and snow. I don't think it was part of a grand design. I thought he flew over, it got cold, so the water froze, and it snowed in Egypt, and that's just what the surfer did. He only did it at the beginning, though, so maybe it's because he was still carrying some space coldness or something. He hadn't warmed up. He was
1: prepping things. You know, Galactus, he likes ice cubes. You gotta chill the sea. He, he likes snow cones. You gotta chill the pyramid. Earth
2: is like a thin mint. It's better when frozen.
1: Yes, he's prepping the world the way Galactus likes it. He likes it, you know, some parts rare, some parts well done.
3: But keep in mind, guys, you know all of this about Galactus coming. That didn't mean dick to me. <laughs> I thought that he was the one destroying the planet. I did not understand there was anything else. So it really, I was thought this was a very curious way of going about and crushing a world. I didn't know it was prep time.
1: Since you didn't know what was coming, what was going on working for you, that this mysterious being was just destroying things at random, like, was that intriguing you at all?
3: It was intriguing. I agree with that. I wanted to know, if the movie is about his rise of the Silver Surfer, I wanted to know what the plan was. What is he rising to do? What is he going to accomplish? Because clearly, if he's the bad guy, they're going to have to have a turning point. Because I know that this character is a good guy, or at least he's celebrated as a Marvel hero. So I thought the battle would be between the four trying to convince him that Earth was worth saving. That's honestly what I thought it would be.
1: And it
2: kind of gets
3: there.
1: Does it? No. (laughs) No. It, yeah. does it does not. I mean in the comic that's very much what the comic revolves around. I don't know if this film gets there but we'll let Arnie make his argument for that.
3: Uh yeah, we'll get there when we get there, but see, I guess for this part of the movie I feel like it's as good and maybe a little bit better because of the promise of the stakes than the last film. I'm still hopeful at this point.
2: And let me just say I love 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 the chase scene between Johnny and the surfer. I think that scene just rocks. I like the action. Unfortunately, I think that scene was the trailer. Like, the whole scene was the trailer.
1: Oh, it was. Yeah.
2: And so I didn't need to pay my admission to see it. But it's a great scene. Johnny's my favorite member of the fan four. The silver surfer can go through the building. Johnny goes around him. It's just a great chase scene. And it brings me back into the movie. It's like the action's finally here. And by the way, the action rocks.
1: Yeah, I I love when the silver surfer, he's standing upright and flips around to look behind him, you know, merges through the board. It's special effects, winkery. There's no reason that he can't just turn his head to look. But (laughs) it looks cool. Like it's a fun chase scene.
3: I agree with you. It's good. I, I also like when he's surfing down the side of a skyscraper. They make good use of the fact that he's on this completely anachronistic, why would a cosmic being have a surfboard
1: thing? <laughs> you want to know why? I'll tell you why. Jack Kirby was known, like, later on for DC, he created this mythology of the new gods, and part of these new gods were hippies. Like, he was really into the counterculture. And really wanted to make these counterculture icons into superheroes. He did it with hippies. I think he wanted to do it with a surfer because that was like an outside thing back then.
2: Okay, that still doesn't tell me why the character has a surfboard. It tells me why an artist drew it.
3: You know what? It's a new decade. Why isn't he the
1: silver (laughs) Segway? Because Segways will always be lame. It will never be cool. (laughs) I agree. It's a very 60s thing to have a surfboard to go through space. Does it work now? I mean, we've talked about this. Do the Fantastic Four work in a modern age? And maybe they don't. Maybe their stuff is too set back in the 60s.
2: Here's the thing that I can go with, though, is the way it's portrayed in this movie. It doesn't necessarily look like a surfboard. I know he's the silver surfer. But it looks to me just like any flying hover disc. We saw Magneto take a little BB and turn it into a flying disc. It's the surfer's ship is what I kind of want with it. It's not as anachronistic here as it was to me in a comic book.
1: Oh, and in the comic, they actually had the fins, too. So it was very much a surfboard in the comic. Yes, here they do make it look more spacey.
2: If he was waxing it in between <laughs> digging holes, I might have some bigger problems. Or yeah. If he stopped by Eggers surf shop to get some <laughs> polish, probably a problem.
3: Last time, I made the case that The effects hadn't gotten so much more impressive from Corman to the, you know, multi-million dollar real version, it still looked like it was struggling to do more than what the original had. Here, watching the Silver Surfer, I gotta say, is this remarkably better, even though we're, what, 15 years, 16 years later, than what Cameron did with the T-1000?
2: Were you not thinking of T-1000 the whole time? I think it's worse. I kind of agree. Here's the thing is it's more defined. It has more contours. It looks more muscular, whereas the T-1000 was always just a walking mirror. But the motion and all of it, it even looks a little worse here than the last movie to me. The stretchiness of Reed, the flaminess of... Johnny, even things outfit. It's good with the face, but everything here just looked a little cheaper to me. I was not impressed with this film visually. It seemed very par for a very expensive movie. I think for the budget, this was $130 million. They should have had more. Perhaps. I can definitely say here on The Silver
3: Surfer, I was not wowing. I thought the chase scene you're talking about was cool, and I was impressed by it. I agree that's cool. But when we get up close and see him, I don't relate to him in the way that I would even chick list in his suit. You know, like, by going all digital, I'm not feeling this character.
2: Yeah, and this was done by Wedow, who did Gollum and Lord of the Rings and King Kong. So... You know, they had the ability to make characters empathetic. It just... Maybe it was the eyes or something. There was no way to pierce this character and make him anything more than a, oh, that looks kind of cool in a fake video gamey way.
1: Maybe they only paid what enough for the interns to animate. <laughs> All I can say, Doug Jones is a talented, he's
3: done this kind of stuff before. His work in Pan's Labyrinth. Great stuff. But Abe
1: Sapien and
3: Hellboy. Yeah. 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 I mean, they got the right guy and Fishburne's got a good voice. I just, for whatever reason, and I really do think it's the digital work. I'm not clicking with this guy when I get a good look.
2: I don't know. I'm going to put a little blame on Fishburne. His laconic line delivery doesn't work for me for this character. It's just a little too baritone. When I was doing some research for this podcast, I read he was actually originally hired to voice Galactus, and then when they decided they weren't going to have Galactus talk, then he became the surfer. That voice would work far better for me for Galactus. For the surfer, you know, he's a surfer. He shouldn't be just so... Easy.
1: Wait, wait, Artie, you want him? Hang Ted, dude. Galactus is coming, yeah. man. Cowabunga. <laughs> is that what you wanted? <laughs> Matthew McConaughey is the
3: Silver Surfer. <laughs>
2: About. i'm just saying i don't want mobius either it works for me because he is the herald
1: of galactus you expect someone with this foreboding voice deep i didn't have a problem with it
2: i just wish he'd emote more it just seemed very flat that's the problem with the silver
1: surfer that's why he doesn't care that this world full of humans is gonna die he is an emotionless character and that's his story arc is that he learns to care for these people and wants to save them so he has to start off that way
2: I'm going to cry shenanigans on that because there's that scene where he's like kneeling and saying the planet is ready. Please eat it quickly. You know, He he wants it over. He wants to show mercy. And he's only doing it. It's not like he's doing it because he wants to. He's only doing it to save his own people. He obviously feels bad about what he's doing, but he feels like it's the greater good. But I don't get any of that from Fishburne's performance.
3: I agree with you, Arnie. I think the quality, the pitch, the tone, the sonorous quality of his voice, I'm okay with that. But I I agree with you. The vocal performance is not Particularly impressed. I can pinpoint this much: when he flies over Latveria or whatever, and we, I realize that Doom is going to be in this again. Oh boy, am I mad! I didn't think we were going to get this
2: Doom. I was happy, really. I was. Again, I like Julian McMahon, and I'm like, yes, they're bringing him back. I honestly got to say, he was one of the big reasons I went to see this movie is because I wanted to give him another chance to do Doom right. I thought the last film, he kind of got the shaft, and maybe this time we'd get enough evil. I don't know that I would have seen this film in theaters opening weekend had he not been in it, just because, again, I'm such a big fan of his on Nip Talk. He's back. I'm excited. At
3: no point am I excited. I don't see him fitting into this world and these early scenes of him being welded out. and It's just all so convenient that Surfer would just magically Awaken him and then heal all his wounds so he can look like Julian McMahon. I just
1: come on. That's just irritating. Right. This is such a superhero cliche. Now, like the first film, you have your one bad guy in the sequels. You got to have multiple. I mean, even Christopher Nolan did this with the Dark Knight. You have Two-Face and the Joker. Yeah, I don't necessarily need the team up unless again, when we talk about the Dark Knight those team ups can work but for the most part it just seems indulgent like it's a sequel we gotta up the stakes so now we'll have two bad guys and uh, yeah I I just don't know if he was necessary like again and I'm coming from this from the comic book perspective like Galactus shows up like right away in the comic book and it's all about them trying to convince him not to destroy the world it's more of a you know Stuart you talked about how you like the chess game of X-Men that's how it plays out in the comic it's not a big punching comic it's a chess game and can we help God realize that the world? Is worth saving. Here, no, now we're going to have two villains to punch.
2: I don't see it that way, honestly. I don't see it as two villains. I see the Silver Surfer as antagonistic, but not a villain. I see Doom as a villain, but it's not like they team up in any way, shape, or form, or even have a cause-effect relationship. It just so happens that the Silver Surfer, as one of his disruptions, wakes up Doom. Is that annoying? Yes. Day says, Magnana? Yes, absolutely. But at least it brings Doom back. I caught this time. This was my second viewing. I hadn't seen it since theaters that, yeah, it was the surfer that healed him. I think they might have maybe clarified that on the DVD release a little bit because in theaters, I thought he just woke up and was fine again all of a sudden because when you see the close up of his mask, you see skin underneath his face. And so there's skin under that mask that wasn't there when we left him last film. So I didn't know what had happened to bring the skin back here. We see the Silver Surfer heals him. Very annoying. Why is it while knocking him through a wall? Oh, by the way, I'm going to regrow your flesh. By the same token, why does it give Johnny switcheroo powers? This whole movie just happens.
1: Yes. Doom peels off the mask. And and so at first I'm like, oh, they brought the jeweler back. It looks like they borrowed the jeweler makeup. (laughs) Oh, for
2: please! Without the mask. Oh. Uh, you are the only one who keeps remembering these things. I guess so. We just watched it two weeks ago, and I'm like, jeweler.
1: I know, but you know what? The jeweler—he uh, was the best part of that film. <laughs> well, yes, so, yes. But yeah, I mean, what confused me even more is: did we ever see Doom set up this camera angle to film his encounter with the Silver Surfer so he could do the study of their encounter later on? No, that was a surprise to find out. I, who? What, maybe it was that annoying
3: assistant that he had in the last film. I don't know. But whatever. You're right. It's a whole lot of happenstance. And we all have different digestive tracks on this stuff. Like, I don't really like comic book movies, so I'm not going to chew on this too much. You need to explain it. We need to move on. And there's just, from this point on, I feel like it's lazy writing. It's just like, well, that's just because. Yeah. Zoom's healed now and whatever. And now Johnny has these switcheroo powers because that'll be funny. And it feels sloppy. After this point.
2: It really does to me too, because I had a problem with the last film with them just being able to make the Brendel pod to give and remove powers and whatnot. Here it's even worse. It's like this Johnny is taken up to space by the surfer, comes back down and now whoever he touches he swaps powers with. What if he touched a human? And if the powers just always swapped it, it just, oh, it bugs the crap out of me that there's no explanation and nobody even cares is what's the most frustrating part. Mm. They are just thinking that we're going to take this, like you said last podcast, Stuart, like a Saturday Night Live skit and we're not going to overthink it at all. And unfortunately, maybe that's just not in my DNA to just sit back and go, I'm going to go with stupidity and not question it. I question it and I'm frustrated by it.
3: Well, here's the thing. You wouldn't question it if it were that funny. And I agree with you. Chris Evans is the funniest of this troupe. But how much can he do under thing makeup? And, like, the joke isn't really that good. I mean, I'm glad he's given
2: more to do here than woo women. But it's just not that funny. So Reed figures out a way to track down the surfer, and they track him to a soundstage where they're back projecting images of London.
1: Yes. Again, I I talked about it. I think it's FX that's always showing these superhero movies. They do that DVD on TV. And, like, for some reason, they love to show the special effects that went into the scene. Yes, it's all green screen.
2: Of course it is. I don't need FX to tell me that because the characters aren't even lit the same way as the (laughs) surroundings. I don't need a DVD to tell me that this is poor, poor CGI backdrops. I did need the DVD to tell me they didn't actually close the Brooklyn Bridge for three weeks in the first film. I thought that was done very well, very convincing. Here... I never once thought they were in London. At best, I thought they were at a Ferris wheel at Disney World, and I mean, I knew that was not Big Ben in the background. That was a photograph. They took a postcard. Wish you were here. I wish they had gone there, because it looked terrible. <laughs> yeah, not this
3: series. It isn't that kind of series. You know, Batman, Nolan, they want to get the grit. They want to really put you there. Here, it's just all a joke. I mean, it is. It's all just, you know, cheesy CG. It just, it feels sitcommy.
1: Which would be fine, I guess, if they were trying to do that if that was intentional but here it's no it's just poor filmmaking well
3: here they are trying to up the stakes they want to have both ways they really did want to finally have some stakes you know like something's really big is going to happen now
2: and it was another much needed action scene because we really hadn't had too much there was the chase there was just a
1: chase this was 42 minutes in when we finally get this ferris wheel scene which i consider the first real action scene in this movie
2: and I don't really know that it plays all that well, though, because the Ferris Wheel of the London Eye starts to get knocked down, and Reed saves it, then, oops, Johnny accidentally touches him, and... I'm thinking, well, that's got to burn because Johnny's on fire. But no, instead, it just transfers the powers. And then Reed saves the day by using flame instead of rubber powers. No matter what the power, Reed can fix it.
1: I don't like what they did with the invisible woman, Jessica Alba's character. I think she was just there to exploit. And so what we see earlier in the film, she gets the fire powers. And of course, it's a reason to burn off her clothes. And she's floating around. She can't fly. But as soon as Richards gets the fire powers, he's able to do some spot welding and fly around like
2: <laughs> in... Reed's defense, he was pretty clumsy. He was kind of flailing too, but he was able to shoot the thing and weld it. I don't know that I'd read any more into it than... One scene was supposed to be comedic, and the other was supposed to be action, and the screenwriters just don't care for continuity. Well,
1: and, and the other big thing, Reed turns into
2: a total dick. Like, after the, he goes off
1: on Johnny. Like, it, it just didn't seem in character, like how they all, like, reject Johnny after this, because he accidentally bumped into Reed and their power switch, which isn't Johnny's fault. That's the Silver Surfer's fault.
2: But Johnny should have been helping to weld instead of chasing the surfer, because it was Johnny's power that could save lives. But that kind of leads into Johnny's arc here. There's like this whole subplot, this movie, that Johnny's lonely and he's had enough. He's had his fill of hot women and now he wants a nice one. And they set this up where like it starts with the wedding and then there's these scenes about how Johnny talks about how jealous he is of. Ben having Alicia, and they think the world's going to end because the surfer is preparing it for Galactus. They think there's no way to stop him. And they're like, what do you want to do with your last moments? It never pays off to anything. First of all, at the end of the movie, when Johnny's girlfriend's about to catch the bouquet, Johnny torches it so she can't. And I thought it was going to pay off that because Johnny had these switcheroo powers, he'd give Ben some alone time with Alicia. They already talked about Thing sex, perhaps giving some actual flesh intimacy would have been a nice thing for Johnny to do to show he's matured and he'll go out as a thing while letting Ben spend his last moments that he said he wanted to with Alicia. It bugged me that they put this in there and never paid it off, but I guess I'm paying more attention than the screenwriters.
3: I like that, actually. It wouldn't have occurred to me, but you're right. He did have the power to make thing Michael Chiklis again, and I'm sure Michael Chiklis was happy to do at least one scene in this movie (laughs) where he was not under all that makeup, but yeah, it probably was too much for him to beg for a sex scene, and that would have tested even worse than Reed's uh, Grey Temples.
2: Listen, I don't need to see it. I just want, you know, maybe just them having wine and snuggling, you know? I don't need to have the scene that they cut from the last film of her brushing him with a feather duster i just thought it would be a payoff for that art that never happened
1: yeah arnie to your point you know we we talked a lot about you know are the fantastic four too wholesome i mean i think what you just brought up is a great way to pay that off you know without making it too la la 50s you know it's more realistic you know but you're still getting into the sex stuff but it's a way to keep it wholesome you know if they cared about the writing here they could have done something much better Yeah,
3: and it would have given a reason for this army brat to have a change of heart about him because his storyline is, yeah, he's pursuing this not particularly attractive girl. Like, she (laughs) doesn't like him, and, like, he's obsessed with her. I didn't understand this at all. I'm like, couldn't they have gotten somebody better? Like, who is this chick?
1: Well, you know, he wants her because he can't have her. That's what it is.
2: And she seems to be the only woman in the entire army. (laughs) Yeah, Definitely, it was not a target-rich environment. The supermodels had all been left at the wedding.
1: The character, her last name is Ray. There is a character in the comic book, Frankie Ray, who is a girlfriend of the Human Torch. discovers after a mental block that she has Human Torch-like superpowers, and does eventually become a Herald of Galactus. Not that that's in the movie at all,
3: but no, no, they're setting up for a trilogy. This is what happened <laughs> for the three. Yeah, exactly. And they were all signed for three-picture deals, <laughs> so it's not surprising to me that they're just you know laying cobblestone for what they want to do next.
2: But why have a three-picture deal when in the middle of this film, Sue and Reed decide to give up being superheroes?
1: Because that's what happens in every superhero film. (laughs) Haven't we brought that up every time?
2: That never played for me. I don't know. It never felt like it had the dramatic weight of Spider-Man throwing out his outfit in Spider-Man 2 or Superman stepping in the chamber in Superman. It was just kind of like, eh, we'll just, you know, call it quits but don't tell the kids.
1: That's my problem is Johnny overhears him talking about this and now all of a sudden he cares about being a team? Like wasn't his thing, you know, in the first film he goes out on his own to the X Games when they were supposed to stay inside the Baxter building and he always wants to go out and be the famous one. Why does he care if they're a team or not?
2: Well, he doesn't want to be the dynamic duo. He says,
1: "Yeah, that's mildly cute." Okay, so they wanted to get a Batman sixty six joke in there. Okay, that's why.
2: <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. They they had to do the dig. I mean, I got at the end of the last movie that he embraced the teamness. They all realized that together they are mighty, and so without them, they wouldn't be as strong. Plus, come on, despite both of them being from the Air Force, neither one has a damn bit of leadership capability. <laughs>
3: True enough. It it was a pitiful storyline, and you're right. It didn't seem true to Johnny. It made him seem wimpy, and it wasn't compelling. I, I had forgotten it was in it, frankly.
2: But then they team up with the army. What about this army guy? Is he anybody from the comics, Jacob?
1: Not anyone I could find. He reminded me most, actually, of General Ross. Yeah, I kind of see that. Yes, who we'll get into when we get into the Hulk. He's the dickhead army general that just (laughs) hates the good guys no matter what. I felt they were just copying him. I I couldn't stand this guy. It was just, he's going to team up with the evil guy. I I, I don't know if, you know, during this time, a lot of criticism towards, you know, George W. Bush and, and U.S. military action. So I don't know if that's what went into his characterization here, but he just annoyed the hell out of me. Nothing he did made sense in this movie.
3: I agree. It was a real puzzling choice to get political now <laughs> and to go where kind of X-Men had with being critical about uh, yeah, the army politics. I'm like, "Really? I think that this probably plays well to the army. I don't know why you would want to alienate that fan base by implying that they're the real enemy because truly, Surfer ends up being a good guy and then they do everything but
2: waterboard him. <laughs> That is true. It is a very, very weird out of left field statement on torture where they're like, we can't violate your human rights, but you're not human.
1: Well, and they bring in, like, the evil, mad scientist doctor for this. but like Mr. Sherman. Yes, I could go with cartoony stuff, but I have my limits. And this is where, you know, again, another instance in this film where they're just pushing it too far.
3: Right, and they're not pushing it too far for comedy's sake. I mean, you've clearly established that this is not a political series, that they don't take on issues, that this is a lark. This is for kids. This is a joke. This is all ages fun. So, to suddenly have some kind of half-assed sermon on Abu Ghraib. I just, I don't get it.
2: I I didn't even think that. I just thought it was villainizing whoever they could villainize. It was shallow screenwriting. And again, we get to see the trope of the hero and the villain must team up in order to stop the greater evil. Even though I think all Doom adds to the whole thing was a camcorder. He has a videotape that shows the surfer's powers in the board.
1: Yeah, isn't it Richards that actually comes up with a device to separate the two, the the surfer from his board? (laughs) Why did they need Doom after the video?
2: All they needed was a Star Trek The Next Generation episode because they use a tachyon pulse. Isn't that what Picard used every freaking episode? Let's fire a tachyon pulse.
3: I didn't know what they were doing, but I thought it was very poorly designed or very convenient that they didn't have one device. It was a four-part thing that could give everyone on the team something to do while they're standing around the German forest.
1: Yes, and it lets the thing scare a bear away because they need to throw some comedy in here.
3: Well, they do, but it should have been funny. (laughs) Uh.
2: So they draw the surfer in and we get the first of several emotional scenes between the two worst actors in this film, Lawrence Fishburne and Jessica Alba.
3: Okay, so basically, because Surfer's got a hard-on for Alba, that's why he's willing to face down the real enemy. Like, this is where we finally find out that he is a servant of Galactus, the sometimes purple-hatted space cloud for the never-ending story here to devour the world. He claims that she reminds him of his wife back home. I would like to point out the obvious She is
2: not Silver. Maybe he's married to a white woman, too. (laughs) I know. I I kind of hinted at that in my plot summary. I I don't quite get that. Maybe his wife back on Silver Surfer World had a big ass and looked like she was clenching a lot.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. like Silver Surfer doesn't have defined lips or any features, and she does. What, they both have long hair, maybe?
3: Yeah, if anything, if she reminded him of his wife, I would think he'd be getting back on his board, ciao, and, you know, I'm going. To go see my woman and you know have some silver sex and <laughs> good best of luck to you i mean like it's not like she did anything to make her empathetic she reminded him of someone that he'd rather be hanging out with <laughs> ergo you leave
2: after you've done your day's work right but if he left galactus would eat his world is what i brought into this is that his service was the price of keeping his planet alive
3: so he could never go home? It's not like he has shifts? He can't, like, punch the clock and take uh, five hours to go see the wife and kids?
2: No one said Harold for Galactus was an easy gig. Man, he needs a union. It's like working for Jennifer Lopez as a personal assistant. You just you <laughs> never get the personal life.
0: And
1: we kind of find out the Silver Surfer's backstory because he has a TV in his stomach. <laughs> and he shows his home planet. Like, it's not like they show people on his planet. They just show a planet and then it's... TV stomach turns off. Like, did they need that effect in there? I don't know why he has a TV in his stomach. Did he eat that? You know, did he sneak a hors d'oeuvre for Galactus?
3: It was time for Teletubby (laughs) bye-bye,
1: I
2: think. That was the
1: last world he
2: took care of. (laughs) Poor Tinky Winky. I miss him. I want to know what the hell the surfer's powers are. He can go through buildings if he wants to, or he can break windows if he wants to. He can make it snow in Egypt. He can resurrect the dead. He can show the TV on his stomach. He slices. He dices. I'm confused. I wish... That they had defined this character more other than he's all magical, all powerful.
1: In the comic, Galactus has the power cosmic, which is the same power that Phoenix receives. And that's why she's able to destroy the galaxies and that. And as the herald of Galactus, he has some of that power. This is basically the power of God to change matter and, and do all that. Oddly enough, the one power he doesn't have in the comic is to resurrect the dead which is going to become a problem for me later on in this movie.
3: You know, I'm starting to blame story for all of these inconsistencies, too. It's one thing to say there was lots of different drafts and hands and whatever. And the last movie was an origin story that was a lot about their internal bickering. But they told us in the beginning that they've upped their game, that this is a world in peril and that these are high, high stakes now and I don't feel that he's ratcheting up this tension at all. It's so lazy how just things just fall into place by happenstance. I got to wonder, why did they let Tim's story return and why would he want to? I feel like, you know, when Richard Donner didn't end up working out on Superman 2, they brought in Richard Lester. He brought in a different thing. And for my money, I will talk about it someday in a Superman retrospective. It worked. It upped the stakes. It felt like a different thing. There was a different vibe to it. And I feel like, yeah, Tim's Story got the ball rolling. He, he gave us a bunch of cranky characters that like to jones on one another. He's done. Let's get somebody in here who can make this action
2: work and who cares about Surfer as a threat. I completely agree. I don't understand why they'd have him back. Unless they just felt he did good enough, and maybe he needed another shot. I mean, maybe they still hadn't seen Taxi by this point.
3: No, everyone (laughs) that had seen Taxi had seen it, and it's a blemish on his resume, but, you know, everyone's got a bomb or two. You don't fire someone over Taxi, but you do fire someone if their dailies are coming in, and it's not to your liking. This guy doesn't have the talent. For where this movie's trying to go. You wouldn't hire him to do an action movie. You'd hire him for the comedy. And this is trying to be both. And now that it's in the second half trying to ratchet it up, it's completely falling apart. And I'm so disappointed because I had some hope up until this point that it, things could turn around. And now... I just know that everything will be lazy from here on out.
2: And especially given that they had hopes when this went into production, you know, Fox is all about how are we going to spin this off and make it into even more money, more money, more money. They wanted a Fantastic Four 3 and a Silver Surfer 2 and
3: and Marvel as well.
2: I mean, the whole Marvel
3: Universe is interconnected. They were planning that one as well. I mean, yes,
2: yes. True, but it just seems like you're giving him the ability to kill two franchises with one movie.
3: I guess we'll get there when we we give our final thoughts, but I honestly question the judgment. Maybe it was just too late into production. I mean, there are a lot of deadlines to meet. They knew they had to make their summer release, but it's very clear at this point that the
2: movie is not coming together the way that it should, and this guy doesn't care. My problem is, and again, I know this from listening to some of the making of, is that I think he's too focused on the comedy. And I read an article, Jacob actually sent it to me, that because of this movie, Jessica Alba almost quit acting. And... Tim, if you'd only push her a little harder, maybe we would have been saved from many other movies like Love Guru. But (laughs) she blames what she called first time directors. Now, Tim Story is not a first time director, but she said this movie here, she was not allowed to act. She was not allowed to do anything. Tim Story just basically told her, look flat and read what's on the script. By the same token, Tim's story and Chris Evans both say Chris was just allowed to ad-lib his every line. So I think that if you were going to be jokey and you were going to be funny, Tim didn't care as long as you brought a laugh and took him back to his barbershop days. If you're trying to ad-lib in a dramatic or emotional way, Tim's like, nah, read the script. That's not the page. Well,
3: you know, I wasn't there unsaid, I can't say, but it's apparent that that is the problem here. That anytime we're meant to be excited, nothing builds off of that.
1: It's frustrating. I really feel like Tim Story's kind of the anti-singer, you know, we talked about in the first X-Men film. The action was flat by the second one. He had gotten that action down and it was really nice. Here it's like they didn't learn anything from that first film. They didn't up the game. No. They, the story's supposed to be bigger, but nothing, the acting, the action except for that first chase at the beginning, I mean nothing else seems to actually be upped in this movie.
3: Well, let's be clear. Singer really wasn't a comic book fan. I don't know if Tim Story was a Fantastic Four fan. I'm going to assume both of them were directors for hire looking for a big payday. But Singer committed to the stories and the characters. He may not have known the comic book characters, but he knew those movie characters and he felt that he cared. And I don't get that out of story. I feel like you're right. This is a gag. It's a gag movie to him. He'd much rather spend 20 more minutes with Johnny and Ben mucking around at a wedding than he would be to, I don't know, save the world from exploding.
1: I'm kind of surprised. Did the Silver Surfer never get called like Chrome Dome in this movie? Because <laughs> I'm kind of surprised if he did it.
2: <laughs> I don't think he did. But yeah, I completely agree with you, Stuart, that I got to fault him entirely for the tone of the film and not striking its balance. And yeah, what you just said, you're right. All the deleted scenes are just all more banter, more humor, more comedy. I don't know if maybe he misunderstood what he was trying to make and just thought he was doing more like haunted mansion eddie murphy rather than beverly hills cop eddie murphy you know what i'm saying with that mm-hmm, sure but what we got was haunted mansion and not what the premise should be and i guess yeah it's just not funny enough if this was like just cracking me up throughout then yeah if the whole point wasn't any action that would be one thing but that's not the line they have to walk you need to strike that perfect balance, that kick-ass balance of humor and action in one of these comic book movies. And Tim's story just goes far too far into the comedic realm. Things just start really falling apart as we enter the third act.
3: How do they break out? I didn't even really understand. Suddenly there's a car that can break into pieces. That Where
1: did it come from? Well, they show it. It's under a drop cloth early in the film, and they hint at it. But the fact that it's a Dodge and it has a Hemi.
2: Did they say it has a Hemi? Yes.
1: You see the Dodge logo and Johnny's like, does it have a Hemi? And Reed's like, oh, yeah, of course. Because they paid uh, us
2: for it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like even Johnny Storm would be embarrassed by the whorishness. Yeah. yeah, like
1: at that point, you know, early on when they have all the sponsors, it makes sense. It's on the suit. That's part of the character here. No, we just need a paycheck from Dodge.
2: All right. I got a bigger problem than the car showing up. Once again, just like the last film, Doom becomes the final nemesis or one of the no final nemesis, And he steals the surfboard. First, no. before he steals the surfboard, he armors up. He suits up. Why? Don't know. But he does. I got that he always had the powers. He just looked normal again. But why he put on the mask, I don't know. It looks cool. It It reminds him of the good old days. There's nothing (laughs) cool about that man
3: on a surfboard flying through China. Nothing.
1: Yeah. Once he got on the surfboard... Just no, just and I know it happens in the comic. Doctor Doom does steal the Silver Surfer's surfboard, but that's drawings on a page. The thing looked good in the comics on the screen, especially with these subpar effects. No, I don't need to see him surfing around in the
2: sky. I read when Doctor Doom stole the Beyonders power, so I guess he's just a power thief. But here's the problem is that didn't happen in the comic against the backdrop of the annihilation of the Earth, right?
1: No, he he never shows up in the Galactus story.
2: Here, you've got Doom flying around. Galactus is about to eat the entire planet, Doom included. And Doom's like, I don't care because now I have power that will last him, you know, what? Two minutes? It really is an ill-defined evil plot. Jacob, in one of these previous podcasts, you said Dr. Doom was the second most intelligent man on Earth. I'm not seeing it. He looks like a dumbass to me.
1: No one looks good in any of these movies. No one looks very smart. I agree with you there.
3: The two plots are even less well integrated than Phoenix and the mutant cure from X3. I mean, it truly this Doom should not have been in this movie. You're telling me that there was a comic where Galactus and Doom and all of this happened?
1: No, Uh, it was all separate. Oh,
3: OK. All right. Well, yeah. OK, because I'm like, I wouldn't never I burned that comic. I wouldn't
1: <laughs> I, I wouldn't well, read that. Furthermore, here's the thing. Like we've all seen the Disney film Aladdin, right? Yes. Like, isn't this film supposed to end with Doom getting all the power of the surfboard, but now he's stuck being the herald of Galactus? Like, isn't that how these movies are supposed to end? When you try to consume the genie's power, you become the genie and you're stuck in the little lamp and you're you're a slave now. Like,
2: I would have so gone with that because it would have killed two villains with one stone, right? Yeah, I like it. Sure. Let's go with that. That's
1: where it seems like going by just trite movie logic. That's where this movie should have gone. But no, mm-hmm. it, it's just we got to fill it time till the big how does doom up? get he just like falls in the ocean right
3: johnny it's Think clobbering time except oh, it's only johnny doing all the clobbering everyone's given him his powers he's just like using them all at once and he just like knocks him into the ocean or something
2: what is the point of having a fantastic four i said this back about x-men time is at the end of the thing when you have a whole bunch of people with one power they need to team up and combine their powers to overcome but here they just hand their powers off to johnny now sue and reed already wanted to go back to normal life so did ben johnny didn't why doesn't johnny just keep all these powers yeah I don't know. Uh, I agree. They don't need each other anymore. It takes away the entire necessity of a team. And he doesn't even turn ugly. He gets like Hellboy hands is all. That's the only thing in him. He's now a super invisible, strong, stretchy fireball. And that is more powerful than the power cosmic in Doom. And so he just punches Doom. Doom falls off the surfboard. The Silver Surfer reaches out his hand and the board flies to him. The end. Mm. It's dumb. It's dumb. More dumb. I could go with the power switcheroo thing a little bit, but how does the power know who to return to when Johnny touches them next? Magic. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he he never at any point could suck the
3: power out of them. It's whatever. I'm not going to think about it. It hurts.
1: And and if he touched all of them, shouldn't they all turn to fire? Yes.
2: Yes, it should. (laughs) This movie doesn't even bother with an internal flow. What about Sue dying here? Doctor Doom throws a spear at the surfer. Sue jumps in the way with a force field, but we've already seen that the surfer's magic can penetrate her field. She gets punctured and is dying. It's a dramatic moment in a film that doesn't seem to have any, and it makes Doctor Doom, who previously... I mean, I know he killed people in the last one, but he never really seemed that menacing. And now he's killing people accidentally? He's accidentally spearing Sue? It's not even an intentional murder? It's a cheat. They don't earn the moment. It. it, Yeah. And then they cheated even further as the Silver Surfer has the power to bring her back. It's all okay. It's like yeah. the kiss of forgetting in Superman 2.
1: Silver magic Jesus. Fix everything. <laughs> Why not at this point? We're at the 90-minute mark. We've got to wrap it up. Let the cloud yeah. hurry up and get here.
3: Yeah, and this is maybe the most annoying blow-off of all. So Silver Surfer, who's never wanted to work for Galactus because of Alba's condition or or something, has decided he's going to renounce his servitude, flies up there, and what happens? <laughs>
1: He stretches out his arms in Jesus mode and shoots something out of his chest or sucks the cloud in. I don't know. Magic. The whole ending is magic.
2: He should have put on a purple hat. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, it wouldn't have been any worse. We get this cosmic dust cloud coming in and Silver Surfer just goes up and appears to unleash all his energy which kills them both at once now but it doesn't but it doesn't because after the credits start to roll we see the silver surfer may not be dead and so mm. galactus may not be either but in fact he didn't even look wounded
1: we see the silver surfer he sucks up missiles into his surfboard earlier in the film when the military's going for him can he use that as like a, a giant vacuum and and suck up all the dust of galactus and why does he turn on him now if he always had this power to turn on him and go back to his wife Why not save his wife back then?
3: (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, that's what I mean. At this point, I'm just irate. This is ridiculous. (laughs) This movie has set up all sorts of conflicts and now is not solving a single one of them. It's just like, eh, it doesn't happen. Hey,
2: this part isn't funny. Let's get through it.
3: Yeah, it's the worst kind of screenwriting. Like, truly, it's someone shrugging off all of their responsibilities as a storyteller and just saying, oh, don't worry, I got a joke coming up.
1: Yeah, it's like watching Superman and Jimmy Olsen saves the day. Like, the Fantastic Four s- literally sit on a really bad Chinese soundstage and watch the Silver Surfer. Like, they do nothing, nothing to save the day.
3: They're, they're relegated to fighting Doom. And, and even they don't fight Doom. Johnny fights Doom. So, I can't imagine anyone is satisfied with this climax.
1: I, I would have been begging for a uh, water slide Reed Richards at this point. <laughs> mm anything's better than
2: this at the end sue and reed are getting married in japan but whoever brian possein is he's important enough that they flew him to japan to marry them yeah it's a
1: super secret wedding so they could finally get it over with but they fly the original minister out there like, if they're as popular as we're led to believe, isn't it paparazzi is, are as crazy as we're led to believe? You know TMZ's like, on, Brian saying, following him around, seeing if he goes to conduct a secret wedding.
3: I just love the fact that now Sue's like, oh, can we hurry this up, too? I'm like, were you in the writer's room? Because that's how this is coming off. It's like, yeah, 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 can we just be done? All right. Ha, 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 we're all gone. Bye, flames. Bye, space. He's alive. End. I mean, it was really that connective of them point i'm like okay if i it's like if i just fast forward through my tivo that's how i would have understood it this is like a normal speed right that was a
2: real like 24 frames per second experience whatever so jacob stewart do you recommend fantastic four the rise of the silver surfer jacob
1: unlike the first fantastic four i am nowhere near the fence on this one and it's on the not recommended side this film it doesn't know what it wants to be or maybe it does it knows it wants to be a romantic comedy but the script's not written for a romantic comedy this is a doomsday end of world criticism of the u.s military film it's all over the place you know you've heard what we've had to say about it it's not satisfying it doesn't stick to the rules the rise of the silver surfer does not get a rise out of me Uh, it does not hang 10 it wipes out not recommended (laughs)
3: Yeah, I will just repeat. I felt like this started out being pretty strong, or at least stronger than what I'd seen before. I was optimistic. I was hopeful. I wasn't completely satisfied at everything I was getting. But I felt like they were finally finding their footing. And then they just stop. And I'm... (laughs) I've never seen that. It would be like watching a football game and then the teams just decide to sit sit it out and let the mascots play. I mean, like, really?
1: I would I'm actually want to see that.
3: I, I, like, I wanted to see the end of the game and they just don't even try. They don't even try. And so, yeah, the Silver Surfer does not rise. You do not want to see more. You do not want to know where this goes next. You want away from this series. It is a franchise
2: killer. Not recommend. And it did kill the franchise. we'll talk about that in a second. And for me, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I have reviewed this film once before, and I went back and listened to it, and I gave this film a very, very qualified, very weak recommend, saying that there's stuff here that comic book fans would enjoy, but I knew then that this isn't something for the masses. I mean, we've talked about it here on this podcast. The comedy bits worked for me, but The plot, especially when it gets into action mode, has holes so big. It's like the Silver Surfer went around the script and just bored some major holes in it before they started filming. I mean, it's really that bad. And the problem I have is that this movie's like the McDLT of movies to me. It, like, keeps the good stuff good, but the bad stuff's really bad. And it doesn't mix well, like, oil and water. And it really left me wondering this time... Am I going to stick with that recommend? Because I still, I understand what I said before, is that comic book fans, especially Fantastic Four fans, I think this is by far the best of the three Fantastic Four films. I mean, obviously, Miles Above Corman, but it has a true villain, a nice menace. It has stakes, as you said, Stuart. The world is at stake here. It has great chase sequences with Human Torch and Silver Surfer. I mean, that was just an astounding scene. And the comedy. I like the dance floor. I'm sorry, Jacob, but I like the dance floor. I like the thing on the airplane. Not every Joe Kids. It feels like they just threw it all at the wall. Some of it sticked. Some of it didn't. But I found myself enjoying the film. I found myself enjoying it. The third act completely falls apart. But Am I going to let the third act falling apart undermine this whole movie? It's, oh, it's a really terrible choice I'm having to make here. And it's reminding me a lot of Green Lantern, where Green Lantern, it had some problems. It was a film with troubles. And I recommended it because there was enough there that I could enjoy that I felt the good outweighed the bad. And you know what? That's what I'm going to do with Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. I said in my initial review, there are things here that fans of superhero films and fans of comic books and comic book movies will enjoy. I am a fan of comic book movies. That's my role in this now playing retrospective. And there are things in here, a lot of them, that I enjoy. And you know what? If this movie comes on FX, like you say, Jacob, it always does, I turn it on. When I'm channel flipping and I just want something on, I turn this on. I don't turn on the first one that often. But Rise of the Silver Surfer, I turn it on, especially if it's early on in the movie. So... A weak, extraordinarily qualified recommend, but a recommend. And yeah, this did kill the Fantastic Four and Silver Surfer franchise, of course. When this came out, they were talking, oh, we're going to do part three, and we're going to do Silver Surfer. I don't even trust studios anymore, especially since starting out play. Remember, Stuart, when we thought one year later we'd be at Halloween 3D? Mm. Hmm? I do not trust studios until a year out from the film. When the film's still in theaters, they need to make it sound successful. A year later, the true story is told, and we will never see Alba as the Invisible Woman again, and I'm happy for that. I'm kind of
1: disappointed because the rumor was we were going to finally get to see Galactus in that Silver Surfer movie. We were going to get to see the Purple Hat. I wanted to know if they were going to do the Purple Hat, but I guess I'll never know now.
3: This is all about a purple hat, really. I, <laughs> I
1: you need to look. Go to Wikipedia. <laughs> it's quite a purple hat. It, it's... it
3: is an impressive purple hat. <laughs> All right, I promise you I will go take a peek at it. But I can also promise you this. Fantastic Four is far from done. The company that held the rights (laughs) still holds the rights, and it expires in 2013. So we're either going to get a sequel to this movie, we're going to get a reboot of this movie, or we're going to get a sequel to Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. (laughs) One of the three, but we will have Fantastic Four. In 2013, that much I can assure you.
2: The guy has proven he's tenacious. He will not let go of these rights. Nope.
1: Stuart, because you seem to be the most critical towards these films, what would work for you? What do you want to see in a Fantastic Four? What would make you recommend it?
3: Absolutely nothing. (laughs) I three movies in, I can honestly say there's nothing they can do to make this work for me. I don't like these characters. I don't like the situation. I don't want it to get cool and slick like Lost in Space and not treated as camp and being awful. And I don't think it's funny and barbershoppy. I don't know why Incredibles works as well as it did, but it defied the trend. This cannot be saved. I don't want it. I want this like I want Howdy Doody rapping or Little Lulu Scripting <laughs> on a pole. I mean, some characters just cannot come back. They're of a, its own era, and they just don't do it anymore, and this should be retired. This is your grandpa's comic book heroes. Let him enjoy it, and that's it. No more.
1: I wouldn't mind them trying to explore, maybe doing it as a period piece. You know, they did that with X-Men first class and it really worked, but you know, maybe, yeah, maybe set this in the sixties, make it a, a red scare space race retro film. And maybe you could work the camp in more. Maybe, you know, you could make the jokes about the traditional roles of women and, you know, wink and nod towards the audience. I could see that working. I would like them to take this back to the sixties and maybe try it as that type of film.
2: I think that could actually work i could see it if you took it back you also need though to get a villain that works as well it may have to be doom but maybe just go with the whole he's an evil dictator warlord type thing i think trying to merge doom into the origin of the fantastic four where really he's like the fifth beetle right he's the one kicked out of the group and he's angry about it and penniless The only way I would watch
3: any of this again is if Julie Taymor stages it as a musical on Broadway. That's it. Because I know that will make me laugh. And that's all I can say about it.
2: (laughs) And if we can get Bono to write a song about Flaming On.
3: (laughs) Oh, you can almost hear it. (laughs)
2: Oh, well, Stuart, Jacob, thank you for flaming with me on this Fantastic Four series.
3: Flame out. I mean, (laughs) man, maybe I didn't like this little
2: corner of the universe,
3: but we still have so much more to go. (laughs) I'm sure I'll love Ghost Rider and Daredevil and
2: Elektra much better. And Ryan Reynolds and Blade. Oh, that's Blade is up next, right? But we're not getting to Blade just yet. First, we have to go into space again for some cowboys. Oh,
3: yes. I'm looking forward to this one. I am not a comic book guy. I know this is a comic book, but I do like a a good Western every now and then. And this looks like a funny hybrid. And it's got to be
2: better than Wild Wild West, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah, it has to be. Sure. (laughs) Actually, it's from John Favreau. I've got a lot of high hopes because he's three for four in my book. I've never seen Zathura, so I can't count that fifth. And our next retrospective series Stuart, UI, and Brock are going also into the realm of horror. 80 Schlock horror, that is, for Fright Night. It's true. It's coming
3: back. Colin Farrell. I think this could work. I mean, Fright Night was a movie I loved as a kid. Haven't seen it in a long time. I don't know how it'll hold up. And uh, I even collected the comic book. So there you go. There's a comic book tie. But uh, yeah, we got a new one coming
2: out. So let's revisit Fright Night, Fright Night 2, and the reboot. Will you be picking up those comics for uh, Books and Nachos? No. (laughs) (laughs)
3: No. There's about as likelihood of that as uh, Blade (laughs) appearing in Alan Farrell's movie.
2: And if you want even more Now Playing Goodness, head to our archive section where you can hear our older reviews. You can hear Stuart becoming initiated into more Marvel with the Marvel movie. Smashing. (laughs) Smashing. (laughs) Rejecting, regurgitating, Howard the Duck, and Man-Thing. And kick-ass.
3: Yeah, yeah, there's been a couple ones. I can't complain. It hasn't been completely, but, you know.
2: (laughs) The X-Men series, kick-ass. And you can hear other reviews, such as A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween, Terminator, Star Trek, and so many more series, as well as individual movie reviews, like The Human Centipede. Who's not like The Human Torch at all. (laughs) All in our archive section at nowplayingpodcast.com. And while at nowplayingpodcast.com, you'll also find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages where Jerry, Jacob, Stewart, Brock, Marjorie, and I all right short movie reviews for whatever we happen to be seeing at that time so if you want to hear what we think of a movie not part of a podcast series check us out on facebook and twitter and you can come to our forums and post what you think about movies and your thoughts on fantastic for the series or any of the other series we've done there is a thread for every podcast we've done in the forums at NowPlayingPodcast.com. so Stuart jacob thank you again for joining me
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's been fantastic.
2: (laughs) Don't lie. Blame on.
0: It's not like you to run away from a challenge, Victor. Yes, you're right. Considering all that has happened here tonight, I'll take what I can get. I'm going to enjoy killing you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Fantastic Four movie retrospective series. I will no longer serve. This is the end for us both. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another fantastic installment of this film series. That's not funny. What am I supposed to do in the meantime? And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can hear our reviews of other Marvel Comics films, such as X-Men, Howard the Duck, Man-Thing, Kick-Ass as well as reviews of non-comic-based film series like Terminator, Transformers, Star Trek, Predator, and individual movie reviews such as Avatar, Inception, The Human Centipede, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. This is by far the coolest thing you have ever done! Be sure to join our forums, where you can share your opinions on these films with the hosts and other listeners. Damn, I've been waiting to do that. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. Same old Reed, always stretching, reaching for the stars with the weight of the world on his back. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. What do you guys think about trying to get an endorsement? Get us a private jet. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Thank you. It's very generous of you. You could also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. What do you have against capitalism? Capitalism. Now Playing's Fantastic Four retrospective series is edited by Carlos and Arnie. Hey, don't worry about it. I'm sure between the two of us, we'll get it all done. Now Playing's credit narrations by Brock. He does the talking, I do the welcome. Got it? Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or 20th Century Fox. This isn't a negotiation, it's a notification. The Marvel characters and all that the Marvel Universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Marvel Publishing Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. We're dealing with something highly resourceful. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Don't even think about it. Never do. Now Playing is a Enganza Media production, copyright 2011, all rights reserved. It's time to end this. No, Vic. It's clobbering
1: time.
2: Starring Johan Griffith. His name's a bastard. <laughs> I thought it was Ian. Johan, I had no idea it was Johan. Johan. Just, just
1: cut and paste it from the first show. Starring...
2: What? What? Sue and Reed decide to give up being superheroes.
1: Because that's what happens in every superhero film. <laughs> Haven't we brought that up every time?
2: <laughs> yeah, and in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. <laughs> well, at least the one we saw. We don't know about the new one. True. On! There's more horror since we're coming up on Halloween. You can listen to us review Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween. Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses. It's the middle of summer, Arnie. It's not near Halloween. But all the horror movies come out in August now for Halloween. I don't get it, but it's how it happens.
3: It's (laughs) mid-July! <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know but you really, you're really like it's almost halloween wait what <laughs> 62
1: more days till halloween
3: if we're Arnie, that's that's uh that's everything this is the countdown silver shamrock <laughs>
2: Oh shit. (laughs) You can hear us (laughs) review more horror films like Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) 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 Try again. And you can hear.